All right, this morning we'll conclude our series on the minor prophets, and uh, we started this in May, and of course there's 12 minor prophets, we're only going to cover four of them, and this morning the minor prophet we're going to consider is a guy by the name of Jonah, Jonah, so if you could turn in your Bibles to Jonah, it's just a short little uh, prophet, and it's four chapters, and we're going to uh, consider him this morning, and hopefully there'll be some, some things we can uh, learn about him that maybe we didn't know, and ways we can uh, use what he does uh, teach us to be uh, better followers of Jesus. So, God uses the minor prophets to convey major messages to his people. Not just then, but even now. As we look at Jonah this morning, we'll see that he gives us the full picture of the love of God, God's compassion, God's grace, and God's mercy. And we also see that the people he prophesies to are not beyond redemption. We'll see a story, of course, of a man that was swallowed by a fish... But what's great about that story, it shows us God's forgiveness, God's love. See, the people Jonah was called to minister to were people we know as the Ninevites. And the Ninevites were, uh, there was a lot of them. They were part of Assyria, but they were just a a wicked group of people. And and because of that, and because of even some things that took place within uh, how he, how how the Ninevites... uh, persecuted the Jews, Jonah's attitude was, they don't deserve God's redemption. They don't deserve God's redemption and forgiveness. And he knew if they'd repent that God would show mercy and grace. So he, he has an attitude toward them. So as we look at this, as we, as we see the stories, look at, with me at, at, at how we see the rebellion in the life of Jonah. The rebellion in the life of Jonah. Notice verses 1 through 3 of Jonah 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to that great city of Nineveh. Preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. Notice verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, And after paying the fare, he went aboard. He sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. We see that there's an attitude in in Jonah that is not pleasing to the Lord. And that attitude invites trouble into his life. And the first thing, there's just two thoughts here. There's probably more, but there's two of where we see his attitude was clearly wrong. And the first is he had a wrong attitude toward the will of God, toward the will of God. For you see, the will of God for Jonah was just laid right out. It says, go to Nineveh. Go to a city that I call you to preach against and give them the truth of the message. So as we look at this attitude, we see that it was an attitude that wasn't pleasing to the Lord, and it was an attitude that did not show mercy. Now, now Nineveh was this. They were established, Genesis 10, 11 tells us that they were established after the flood, and they were a, a people 
that were part of the capital. They were the capital city of, of Assyria, and they were known for riches. They were known for wealth, kind of like Shelby. I mean, they were just the place to be from. I love Shelby. I'm glad you let me live here. <laughs> but unlike Shelby, Nineveh was wicked. I mean, there was just rampant sin within this city. They were a cruel people. They were a sinful people. In fact, this is a quote about the kings. The Assyrian kings viewed their methods of empire building and maintenance as more than a means to an end. It says, they left inscriptions with detailed accounts of their horrible policies of terror and fear alongside their boastful claims of universal kingship. Now listen to this. Assyrian kings tried to make themselves feel more important by inflicting pain and suffering on people. With pride, they gloried in describing how they whipped, how they skinned, how they dismembered, how they blinded and burned alive human beings as they conquered lands. End of quote. So you see, possibly we might say, well, hey, they deserve it. They deserve the emotions that, that Jonah had toward them. But you know, the call on Jonah was to go to Nineveh. That was God's will for him. And, and the, will, the, the direction, the message was, show him repentance. Teach him repentance. Now, it seems that Jonah probably forgot about the message that he had received and the mercy that he had received and the hope that he had received of, of how much God loved him. And, and God loved the Ninevites too. God loves everybody. He loves those who are not clearly following the message of truth. He loves the wickedness of, of people of our day. And he wants us to continue to be merciful people and having the right attitude toward the will of God for our life. So God's will for his life, go to Nineveh. He had a wrong attitude toward God's will. And then not only that, he had a wrong attitude toward the word of God, toward the word of God. And it's cool. it comes right out. It says the word of God came to Jonah, and he basically said, I can just take this or leave it. You know, God's will, God's word is, is, is just clear for all of us. And, and he comes right out. I know sometimes we say, well, it's hard to find God's will. Well, the trouble I have with God's will are the things I already know that he has shown us, that he shows me. And there's just a couple things that i just like to point out quickly as I think of God's will for our life. And uh, uh, it's cool. There's in the New Testament, like, uh, over 51 another's that we're to display as followers of Christ, things that we're supposed to act on as followers. And I've got four of them on your notes there. And, and the first one is this. The first one another, we love one another. That's in the Bible. It's in 1 John 4 where it says, friends, love one another because love is of God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So as we think of those God puts in our life, God clearly gives us this mandate to love one another. It, it, it's a person in our life that has been made in God's image, 
And God's called us to love them and, and act and react toward them in a way that's pleasing to him. In fact, you, you, you probably might say, well, you don't know who I work with. You don't know my boss. <laughs> you don't know my family. But the word of God says that we're to love one another. That's one thought. Again, this is a great study. There's over 50 in the Old New Testament, and I encourage you to get to know all of them. But, it, but this, these are just some I picked out. Accept one another. Why? God's word says, accept one another as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise of God to God. So, acceptance. <laughs> I'm thankful that when we moved here in 2003, you just took us in. Some of you say, well, I'm still not quite sure. He talks funny. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, you let us just become part of the church, and you just kind of, I know we talk a little different, and we uh, are maybe a little more direct than some at times, but, you know, there's that acceptance. And, and thank, it, it's, it's a calling from God that we accept one another. And it, you know, because we're all wound different. We're all made, you know, we come from different backgrounds. We come from different uh, ways of life, and yet in the beauty of, of Jesus is it's uh, at the cross, it's level, and we have these opportunities to, to, to just accept one another and grow with each other. I encourage you to, to not just always choose people that are like you. Accept one another. Carry one another's burdens, Galatians tells us. Carry each other's burdens, and this fulfills the law of Christ. And, you know, when you think of carrying others' burdens, I know personally when there's a burden in my life, it's really much easier to carry that burden when you have people in your life to go along with you as you carry burdens. And that's why we see the value of community groups, connect groups, because you have people in your life who you do life with, who you can just have pray with and, and do life with, and, and just carry one another's burdens. It's a good thing to have that in your life. And then the last one, and again, there's several in the Bible, but forgive one another. It's real clear. Be kind, compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, I know from a personal experience, it's much easier to talk about forgiveness than to practice forgiveness. You know, forgiveness is a great idea until we have someone to forgive, right? And yet, when I think of what Jesus showed us in this passage and others, that the one another for us here is to forgive one another. It keeps you married when there's forgiveness. It keeps you in harmony when there's forgiveness. It, it, it keeps you in a church when there's forgiveness. And boy, you know, so often, again, I, I, I love, I think it was John Piper that said, you're never more like Christ than when you choose to forgive. So a great practice for us. So, so I tell people, bury the hatchet and bury the handle too. You're better off that way. You know, we, we want to know God's will. God's will is right there for us this morning and in other places as well. But as we go back to Jonah, we see <clears throat> that he forgot the privilege of being a prophet, really. The, the privilege of, of, of hearing God directly speak to him, to, to, to know specifically the will of God and to follow through with it. 
And he was so quick to give up this prophetic office that God had given him. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting. We, we kind of get the picture, that, hey, I can just run. I'll just go to Joppa, you know, head to Tarshish, and, you know, God won't know where I'm at. But, you know, he finds them. You know why I know that? The Bible tells me. Listen to Psalm 139. Great passage for us to remember as we look at this. It says in verses 7 through 10, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Presence. I go to the heavens, and guess what? You're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your, hold, your right hand will hold me fast. As followers of Jesus this morning, we have the opportunity to do his will for our lives. And you can't turn in your resignation. And I know uh, as we look around, we're some of the older crowd in our church. But you know, you can't quit as you hit your 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. It, 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 and it was interesting. I was at a conference several months ago with our seniors and the speaker talked about, you know, when you're in your 60s, you're just hitting your stride. In your 60s, you can do so much for the kingdom. In fact, numbers, statistic numbers say that the 60s can be the greatest years for you. So those of us in our 60s, press on. If you're 70s, he said that's the next group. So those of you in your 70s, more of the middle section here, press on. Your 80s, Maynard, your section, don't give up. Stay married to Deanna. <laughs> Deanna, the old boy needs you. Okay? So here's the thing. We, we, we can't leave what God's called us to do. And it's cool to think about because in Romans 11, 29, it says, God's gifts and his call are, are irrevocable. And that verse has some specialness to my heart because uh, many of you know last uh, August my father-in-law went home to be with the Lord. He was 89 years old. And uh, he was a, a fellow who was a veteran. He spent 30 years in, in the Air Force. And after the Air Force, he and his wife uh, moved on to Germany and they were missionaries uh, with Awana clubs. And uh, he took me in. And uh, he... Uh, several years ago, when my oldest son was ordained, he spoke at his ordination. And he said, Joshua, he, he was from Estonia, so he had like a cool accent. He said, Joshua, God's gifts are irrevocable. And of course, I, well, what's irrevocable mean? <laughs> he, he's not going to take them back. And you can't take back the gifts he's called you to either. And, and it's really cool to think about, you know, he lived with us a couple months, my father-in-law. And uh, we got, you know, it was during COVID, and he was there to uh, just encourage us. And, of course, he was beginning that stage of dementia, as uh, uh, some of us know that with our parents and grandparents. But, you know, he, he, he never lost his joy, and he always sang in the morning. And you'd ask him to pray, and he'd pray. And uh, for some reason, he, he took me in. He accepted me. Now, now you got to understand, I was from the wrong side of the tracks. There were eight of us, and we were from a tough old union town up in northeast Ohio. And uh, I started dating his daughter. And I remember when he 
come and visit at our house. You know, we, you know, we, our house was a little rougher in some, and he was, of course, you know, from a different. Well, I got to be careful here. He is in a more of a upper middle class season of his life, but but he never judged us for that. He just took us in. Heidi, go ahead, marry him. I said, Come on, baby. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't say. Actually, I remember my buddies used to say, I'll joke about her, but my buddies used to say when we have our our troubles in marriage or a relationship before we were married, they go, man, you caught a. You got a big fish in a sea. And I go, I caught a whale. And I, <laughs> uh, actually, what's cool about it is she, uh, she's been good for me. So all that, I don't know, I'm just getting off track here. But God's gifts are irrevocable is my point. And, and it was cool when he'd say that verse, he'd, he'd say Romans eleven twenty nine, but he'd also flip to Jeremiah 29, 11. So you got Romans eleven twenty nine and Jeremiah 29, 11. He'd say them together, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So as we think of God's gifts and how they're irrevocable, he's also got plans to prosper us as we do the ministry, as we do the calling that he has for our life. So this disobedience that was in Jonah's life, it caused them obviously to get sideways and head to Nineveh, and he's on this ship and we see in verses 4 through 17 what takes place. The Lord sent a great wind, verse 4 says. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. <laughs> Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. Can you believe that? I mean, he's far from God, and he's able to sleep it off. So the captain goes, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that will not perish. The sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble, and what kind of work do you do, and where do you come from, and what is your country, and from what people are you? Look at his answer. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they, they continued to, to seek to, to, to get the ship steady, and yet it got rougher and rougher. And finally, in verse 12, Jonah says, just pick me up, throw me into the sea, and then it will become calm. Verse 14, they cried out to the Lord. Jonah's Lord is what we see here. And then they took, verse 15, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea, the Bible says, grew calm. And this the men greatly feared. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You know, it's interesting as we look at this, how Jonah's sin not only affected him, but it affected those around him. And it makes me evaluate myself as a dad and as a granddad and as a pastor that my sin affects those in my circle. And, and, and we need to be aware of that as we do life, as we live life, that we affect other people. And yet, 
the other side of that, often when we get it right, those around us get it right. So take heed to that as well. By doing it right, very often those around you uh, will also get it right. So as we go back to this and as we think of the sin in the life of Jonah, and you've heard this, sin always takes us further than we want to go. Sin always costs us more than we want to pay, and sin also keeps us longer than we want to stay. Say, I'll go, Lord. Don't say no, as Jonah does. Of course, we know he never makes it to Tarshish. He ends up in the digestive tract of a big fish. And this is where he starts over. And what we see as we move into chapter 2, we see he brushes up on his prayer life. And, and we see deliverance in chapter 2. And, and what he does as he starts this prayer and as he prays for God's help, uh, there's a, a, a neat little formula on prayer here because there's three parts to it. And that, and that first part is we see in verses 2 through 6, and there's thanksgiving as you, as you read through there. There's, a, there's an attitude of thankfulness that comes into his life. And I, I'll tell you, as we pray, as we talk to the Lord, as we, as we seek and petition the Lord, thanksgiving's a good thing to be a part of in our prayer life, being a thankful person. You know, we, we go to our to-do list, and, or, or maybe not our to-do list, but what our requests may be, but, but thanksgiving is a good part and a good place to start when we pay, pray. So we see that in, in these first six verses. And then there's a brokenness here that we see. And, and, and what's interesting here is we look at that, you know, he realizes, you know what, I'm sideways. My life is not where it needs to be. It says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, and then it says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So again, he, he's like, wow, God, I'm, I'm not where I need to be in life. But he remembers. He remembers the truth that God called him to be as a prophet. So there's thanksgiving and there's brokenness. And, and then in verses 9 through 10, we see that there's a, there's a rededication. There's a, hey, I'm going to start over. It says, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes for the Lord. And then it says, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So there's a, a, a genuine surrender in the life of Jonah. And in what a place. I mean, imagine being in that fish's belly. And there's a place for him to start over. You know, three days to where he is evaluating and he, he, he's, he's maybe, you know, really Nineveh, those people. Remember what they did to my people? And he's, you know, there's a lot of talk back and forth, I'm sure. But, but, but he, he comes to the realization as God sent this big fish into his life, that <laughs> this is a form of God's grace. What a place for him to realize this is not the Ninevites doing, it's my doing, and it's what's in my life that shouldn't be there as to why this is happening to me. So he gets serious with the Lord. God commands the fish, and it obeys. He commands the storm, 
and the storm obeys. And you know, think about this. I mean, we serve the God of the universe, and God controls the seasons, the weather, the sea life, and yet we think we can run from them sometimes. We think that we can't do what he calls us to do. Remember, his gifts are irrevocable. Our ways are never better than God's. Realize, friends, that we're not in charge. He is. And that's where Jonah is at this season in his life. So he wises up, and in chapter 3, the mission is accomplished. And what we see, first of all, that he is merciful to his servant. Verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that great city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. Now, I love this because God gives second chances, and often third and fourth and fifth chances. And we, of course, should never play on that grace, but realize that God gives opportunities sometimes that we don't deserve a second and third and fourth time. And, and Jonah, he, he's experienced this great deliverance, you know, experienced from drowning. I'm sure when they threw him over, this is it. Um, I, I, what a unique fish story to tell when you think about it. But he was a different man once God had the fish vomit him up onto dry land. In fact, we don't know the amount of time that passed between Jonah being vomited onto dry land and when he shared this message with the Ninevites. Maybe it was immediately, maybe it was a few days, we're not sure. But, but, but regardless, it was a new beginning for this reluctant prophet. Proclaim to it the message I give you. You see that there in, in verse 2? That's the message. You proclaim the message I give you. And it's real clear. It's real specific. God's given us all a message to tell. We're all called to preach and share the gospel, to proclaim the message. You know, you're not disqualified. We're not disqualified from failure or past sin. When we repent, when we turn away, realize that God often gives a second chance. Now, sometimes there's a consequence to that second chance. Mercy is, is shown, but there's still, uh, you know, cleaning up the mess that's around possibly. And, and, and the message, as, as, as we look at this in, in chapter 3 and verses 4 through 10, is a, a call to repentance, and it's not a great message. It's like, I'm going to destroy this city. The, in fact, in verse 4 it says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, and he proclaimed 40 more days, and Nineveh would be overthrown. The Ninevites, it says, believe God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning had reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, and he took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. Look what the king says. 
by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. The king of Nineveh, these wicked kings we read about earlier, we heard about, you know, they were called to repentance and called the nation to repentance. And then verse 10, notice what it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Wow. The Ninevites, verse 5, they believe God. They believe God. Now, some of you, are, and I thought this, like, like, why were they so receptive? You know, why were these Ninevites so ready to receive and, and turn from, from what they were, were living? And, and there's a couple possibilities, several possibilities, I'm sure, but a couple I'd like to just mention. First of all, never minimize the power of God in his word. Never minimize that strength we have when we, when we live the word and when we give the word. You know, they, I think they go together. Often we'll say, well, we'll just be silent Christians. Well, uh, that's okay, but you also need to tell them why Jesus did what he did for you. So God's word, Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word. I, I love this quote from Billy Graham. It says this, I have found that when I present the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with authority, quoting the very word of God, that the Holy Spirit takes the message and drives it supernaturally into the heart. You know, we have the Word of God to share. You let God's Word get out there and get ahead of you and share that truth and proclaim that truth and then expect the supernatural. <laughs> Think of this. A Jewish fellow named Jonah took the message to a lost world and the result was revival and life change. And it's easy that we could say that this is one of the greatest revivals that ever took place. Hearts had turned to God. So don't minimize the word of God that he's given us. And then there's a second thought to all this of, of why the Ninevites might have been so receptive. And this is interesting to think about. Now, remember, where was Jonah? He was in the belly of this fish for three days, right? Now, probably all the things that go on in our bellies when we can digest food and all that, you know, he, he probably bleached out a little bit from being in the belly of that fish, you think? Yeah. You know, so, so, so here, in fact, imagine laying at the beach that afternoon when Jonah was spewed out. He, you know, he goes home and, he, you know, he tells his wife or he tells his mom, and dad, you're not going to believe what I saw. I mean, I saw this fish hurl, <laughs> spew, and some guy came out. And you should have seen him. He's all, like, white and splotchy looking. And, you know, may... Sometimes God will use like a, like a, a, a tool in someone's life, a, an experience, and, and very possibly this experience, this way that, that he looked, you know, spread rapidly. I'm sure the Ninevites, hey, there's a guy walking around our city, and he looks goofy, and he's got all kind of stuff hanging off him, and he's, and he's preaching this message. So that's quite possibly another reason why it was receptive, why, why the hearts of lost people were, were turned to Jesus, turned to God. Now, 
A couple passages to think about. The word is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants all people to be saved. We know that from 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, where he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Keep sharing the message. Never grow weary in sharing the message. You know, thankfully, as a 16-year-old, as a I turned from my sin, and I turned to Jesus. God saved me. I, I repented. And, and, and again, there's been many times where I've been swallowed by a fish, so to speak, where I had to get things figured out and get back on track. But thankfully, that, that time where, where my life changed and where I began a journey with Jesus, that was the best thing that ever happened in my life. So I, I say that because maybe you've never began that journey with Jesus. Maybe you've never, ever put your faith and trust in Jesus. And, and boy, that's the best decision you can ever make. You're accepting the free gift of what God did for us. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Well, chapter 4, we're still more in this. But in chapter 4, we see Jonah, <laughs> God acted, God did a great work in Nineveh, but he goes off and he starts pouting again. In fact, he's an angry man. We see, if you read chapter 4, you know, there's just a lot of issues he has in his life. He, he just does not like these people. And, and he, he, he really, guess, didn't realize that God's calling and gifts are irrevocable in his life. Because we see that, that his actions are, are just not what God called him to be. In fact, if we'd summarize that chapter, we'd say, Jonah had an ungracious reaction to Nineveh's repentance and revival. Now, what I like to do as we pull stuff together in a sermon is share a scripture with you because God's word speaks. So if I could just give us some words from David here as we pull this together in our major message. In, in Psalm 40, he said this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry, and he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock. And he gave me a firm place to stand, and he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And then it says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. God lifts David out of despair. He lifts us out of despair. He sets our feet upon a rock. He, he allows new beginnings, new opportunities. He's a gracious, merciful God, and he puts us firmly established on him. And then he gives us a new song. So, major message. Here it is. God longs to give us a new heart. His mercies are new every morning, and the thought of starting over should encourage us. A time to refresh ourselves, change directions, and start anew. So, will you take time this morning to honestly admit your present condition? Face the music, stand alone inside the fish, and come to terms with the things in your life, my life, that need attention. Let's pray. Lord, you give us so much in your word to hold on to, to learn truth, to learn hope, to learn forgiveness. 
And I pray, Lord, as we've been reminded of the life of Jonah this morning, we, we pray, Lord, that we would realize, Lord, that because of the message of hope that you gave him, he could continue to uh, be faithful as a prophet. Of course, he got sideways again like often we do. So when we mess up, Lord, help us fess up and not give up. And I pray for that heart here this morning that's never, ever repented of their sins and given their life to Jesus. Turn to him, Lord. I pray that you would just help them seek someone out, Lord, who, who they could talk to about how they can have a relationship with Jesus. Because it's in that relationship, Lord, that all the other stuff happens. So we thank you for this day. Thank you for the truth of the messages that you give us in your word. And thank you for these minor prophets that you didn't leave out of the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen.